You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Die Hard 2, which came out in 1990 and was directed by Rennie Harlan. It stars Bruce Willis, Bonnie Bedelia, William Sadler, Art Evans, Dennis Franz, William Atherton, John Amos, Fred Thompson, Tom Bauer, Franco Nero, Sheila McCarthy, Vondi Curtis-Hall, Don Harvey, big cast, Robert Patrick, Gene Bates, John Leguizamo, and Reginald Vell Johnson. The genre would be holiday action sequel. It covers 1,000 acres in our nation's capital. Excuse me, which way is the bus to D.C.? It handles flights from 84 different countries. It takes 10,000 employees to run it. It has its own police force to protect it. Each holiday season, 11,000 planes take off. This is Dulles Control Tower, go ahead. And 11,000 planes land. I've got 230 people flying on petrol fuel. But tonight, on Christmas Eve... The tracking system's down. Oh, God, no. We need to land, now. It will all Switch come... Switch the backup systems. ILS landing system is down. Someone shut us down. ...to a complete They've stop. taken over the airport. chance anyone's got. How can the same thing happen to the same guy twice? Bruce Willis, Die Hard 2. Die Harder. Despite its myriad of plot holes, and obvious gaffes. Yes, there is a phone booth early on saying Pacific Bell, even though this is supposed to take place in Washington. I still maintain that this is the best Die Hard sequel. It doesn't have the overall cleverness or more grounded nature of the original film, but it's still a pretty strong action thriller in its own right. Rennie Harlan is no John McTiernan, but he stages several effective action sequences regardless. Just one example. At an early sequence taking place at the Annex Skywalk, Great McLean moment here. He knows he's outgunned by the Uzi-wielding goon from an elevated position up on a painter's platform. So McLean just kind of says, fuck it, by getting underneath him, unloading his gun upward while shoving the bottom of the platform until this goon comes crashing down with the platform. And you can tell that not only is McLean physically struggling to pull this off, but he hasn't even thought through what happens next. Part of that platform then falls down on him, pinning him to the floor, also losing his gun. And this is at the other end of a people mover with another goon on the other end coming right for him. Now pinned down and unarmed, McLean just kind of does the next logical thing. He hits the button on the people mover machine to turn it on, moving the gun and terrorist closer to him. He just made the right bet that he could get to the gun first. Oh! 
kick your fucking ass. It's moments like this that really make this character special. Bruce Willis as McLean was never the strongest guy in the room, nor the smartest guy in the room. He just found his way through tough situations, keeping his wits about him and plugging away. And playing Colonel Stewart, William Sadler had the truly thankless task of following up Alan Rickman as the main villain. How's the security around this place? Like we figured, it's a joke. Colonel Stewart, can we have a few words, please? You can have two. Fucking you. No pictures, you pinko bitch. It would have been extremely difficult for any villain to come after Hans Gruber. So props to Sadler for just basically playing him as an extremely menacing and frankly a superior physical threat to McLean. Now folks have always mocked Sandler's introduction in this film, doing that naked Tai Chi, but with his piercing stare and precise movements, he actually comes off as sufficiently scary. This was not someone who McLean could just overpower without some luck. In a lot of ways, Colonel Stewart was the bane following Hans Gruber's Joker. That concludes our object lesson for this evening. If the 747 we requested is ready on time and General Esperanza's plane arrives unmolested, further lessons can be avoided. Even more engaging are the air traffic controller scenes, nicely led by 80s character actor extraordinaire Art Evans, playing Barnes. All we have to do is find a way to transmit. Yeah, right. Uh, somebody want to run down a radio shack and get a transmitter? We already have one. The new terminal wing they're building, 20 airlines when it's done, all with their own reservation computers, all tied into a nice big antenna array. Right. Better send Mr. McClane out. Get him out of here. Go get on. You got no business off. being up here. I'm telling you guys, everything we need is over by the Annex Skywalk, just sitting there, waiting to go online. And the man, the irreplaceable Fred Dalton Thompson. He had quite a year in 1990. He played similar gruff authority figures in two other films this year, Hunt for Red October and the previous episode, Days of Thunder, which came out just before this. And damn if he was not just a delight to watch in each of these movies. His character is also the one real upgrade over that first Die Hard movie, meaning I think he's a real upgrade over Paul Gleason's Captain Robinson. Fun character, don't get me wrong, but he's also the butt of the joke. Who the hell is this? I'm, I'm a police officer. It's an unauthorized area. Security. L.A., Mr. Trudeau, don't mean shit. Yeah, that's what I said about my last cholesterol test. So what's your problem, Lieutenant McLean? Whereas in Die Hard 2, Thompson's Trudeau is someone you just want to follow into a burning plane. Great character. Attention all controllers, attention. We have a code red alert. Everyone already on approach or inside our pattern holds at the outer markers. Stack them, pack them, and rack them. This brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Master composer Michael Kamen returned to compose the score for this movie after delivering an all-time action score for that first Die Hard film. His score for this movie is solid overall, generally bringing back several of the same beats except less emphasis on Christmas bells and no usage of Beethoven's Ode to Joy. So what results is a serviceable score which does the job, nothing more.
And regarding needle drops, yeah, just kind of more holiday music. And unfortunately, nothing to rival Run DMC's Christmas and Hollis, which opened the first movie. So where does that leave us? Well, it is nice to hear a reprisal of Vaughn Monroe's Let It Snow from the first movie. Only this time, there's actually snow on the ground. And even better, Dennis Franz ends the movie with a joyous note just before seeing the McLeans being carted off the runway, pulling back to a pretty impressive digital matte painting of some crashed planes and snow. So yeah, let's go with that. Hey, McLean! You get this parking ticket in front of my airport? Yeah. Ah, what the hell? It's Christmas! Oh, the weather outside. They go, Mom! But the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping. And I brought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, if I'm being honest, in retrospect, most of the stuff on that passenger plane circling around with Holly and Richard Thornburg on board, it really just kind of slows the movie down. It's clear that Harlan was hoping to position this this part of the movie as a sort of comic relief portion for the rest of the movie. But sorry, it's during these scenes where we witness firsthand how Rennie Harlan was never John McTiernan. At his best in movies like Die Hard and The Hunt for Red October, John McTiernan could keep things relatively light at just the right points in the story, but all based on character and integral to the plot. Whereas all this on-flight stuff with the old lady and the angry stewardesses, and of course that stun gun gag, it just feels very forced. And here's the thing, I completely get as to why to bring back Bonnie Bedelia's Holly. Her relationship with John was a key element of the original movie. And having her flying into Dulles makes sense from a plot standpoint, not only drawing her husband into the story, but also adding to the stakes for him to get these terrorists out of that airport. Hey, McLean, I got a first-class unit here, SWAT team and all. We don't need any Monday morning quarterbacks. Hey, fuck Monday morning. My wife's on one of the goddamn planes these guys are fucking with. That puts me on the playing field. But as much as I love the actor and I enjoyed his character from the first Die Hard and most other movies, there is no real purpose towards bringing back William Atherton's Richard Thornburg. Sorry. And to have him on the same plane as Holly, it just feels all the more like lazy sequelitis. Silly and just too convenient. And besides, this movie already has more than enough characters, let alone potential villains. So you basically have two very strong performers from the original movie who are brought back for the sequel and pretty much wasted. Listen, Dick. That is your name. Dick. If you're going to continue to get this close, do you think you might consider switching aftershaves? Anything else? Stronger mouthwash might be nice. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. This has to be a no-brainer, as I am pretty sure I have mentioned this scene in particular in previous reviews of other Rennie Harlan action films. It's a standout one for sure. We're about two-thirds of the way through the movie, and McLean is finally making some headway on thwarting Colonel Stewart's plan. Freedom. Not yet. He almost captured General Esperanza, who just narrowly escaped. The colonel and several of his men are outside of the cockpit of this giant military plane where McLean has sequestered himself. Threats are made. 
Several rounds of machine gun fire are unleashed. McLean is literally screaming to try to escape. He went in the cockpit. He's going to hell. McLean! I assume it's you, McLean. You're quite a little soldier. You can consider this a military funeral. And then about a dozen grenades are tossed in for good measure as well. So what does McLean do? Why, he launches a parachute from the pilot's seat, of course, and escapes. Now, yes, I know that there are several aspects of this scene which strain credulity just a bit, including how fortunate our hero is that it took so many seconds for all of those grenades to detonate so that he could escape in time. It's a stretch, but no matter. This is the sequel's equivalent of the now iconic moment when McLean jumps off the roof of Nakatomi Tower during the climax of that first Die Hard. Yeah, this is really just as good. We not only have that glorious visual of our hero flying towards the camera as the plane explodes below him, but then him characteristically going, oh shit, as he falls back to the ground. It's both funny and thrilling. The final category would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. At the end of the day, despite having arguably better action overall than the previous movie, it's the relatability and charm of its main protagonist which carries this sequel. Whether we actually buy several of the situations that he finds himself in, and believe me, there is one moment involving McLean and a machine gun in a police station late in the movie, which is a doozy. <laughs> Stewart's got some explosives on the equipment in the church rigged with a remote. Grant? Grant's boys are going to kill that son of a bitch and get it from him. They're going to do that. They're going to get on the same goddamn plane with him and take off with him. Get the fuck out of here. When the army can't do it, he must have loaded that unit with his own men. Are you nuts? That firefight at Alger. Tight, Joe. To jerk us off. I am some time. McLean, you are completely around a fucking bend. You know that? And you know what else? You're under arrest. You must kill her. These are the bullets they used out there tonight. Blanks. Jesus Christ. Willis carries it all through. His ability to both be a physically relentless hero and a relatable everyman was a key reason for why the first movie struck such a chord. And he brings that with him here as well. Never more so than what, in retrospect, was a pretty controversial sequence back in the day. It would even be controversial now, actually. Which occurred about an hour into the movie. Yes, I'm talking about the plane crash. More than 220 people instantly murdered by Colonel Stewart. It's a brutal and tragic moment. And while I'm not sure that the movie completely earns it, this sequence also demonstrates what makes, well, sorry, kind of made John McClane such a special type of action hero. Yeah, I'm referring to those later sequels. He's not the same. Oh, God. 
Watching him helplessly wave those ad hoc torches outside, seeing his shattered reaction after the plane crashes, and hearing just how demoralized he is sitting in the control tower afterwards talking to Trudeau. He is selling every moment in a believable manner that few other action heroes of this time period, and yes, I'm including Stallone and Arnold, could even approach. For once again embodying one of the great all-time action heroes, even as we incredulously witness the same shit happening to the same guy twice, Bruce Willis is the MVP. My rating for Die Hard 2 would be three and a half stars out of five. Yeah, looking back to the lead up to this film's release in 1990, that teaser trailer, the whole Die Harder campaign, this was the release of a sequel of a beloved movie, which I was positively obsessed with just two years after the first one. This was definitely among the top five most anticipated films for me, rivaling anything Star Wars, James Bond, or directed by Michael Mann or Quentin Tarantino. For the teenage version of me, this was an event for sure. And yeah, upon initially seeing it in theaters, I was a tad disappointed, if nothing else for it having less humor and a weaker villain. And no, it's not on the level of that first film, which remains one of the prototypical action genre films. But to be fair, most films aren't. And this one is certainly a memorable Christmas movie as well. If you're looking to watch Die Hard 2, it is currently streaming on Netflix. And that ends another Die Harder review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.